It's good to be back up here. I, I'm so thankful for John and his, his teaching, and I know he wanted, I think he was in his own way trying to say, let me go another week, because I really want that passage. <laughs> I had to hold him back. But then after studying, I was like, dang it, I should have let him do it. <laughs> These are some tough, tough chapters. I know I say it over and over again, but Paul is, does anybody agree? Paul's tough. Anybody? Paul's tough. And I know the women know it because they went through Romans a year ago. And now they, they picked like the easiest books to study too. Now they're going through Hebrews. And I'm lobbying Mindy to go through Revelation next year for the women so they can do that. Well, it's, it's good to be back and I'm really excited for tonight. The night of worship is, is always great. Hopefully everyone can make it back out. It really is just a great time to worship and have communion fellowship and and praise God for all that he's done for us and all that he does even in the midst of like John was saying being up against it I know so many of you are if you have if you are now you will be in the future or you have been and I'm sure we could just bring someone up one after another just testify how God got them through it and so just remember that God God is here God is with you and he's going to walk you through that whatever you're going through. So I hope that encourages you. Well, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 11, and it's the final chapter where I think Paul is started in chapter 9 of answering the question about what about Israel? If you haven't been here for a few weeks, we've been discussing the nation Israel. Who is Israel when the New Testament refers to them? And what about them? Are they God's chosen people? Are they rejected by God? Is there something that's going to happen to them in the future? What's going on? The Apostle Paul is going to address that here. And finally, I think we're going to get an answer in the next two weeks in chapter 11. So hopefully through the process of that, God speaks to you in a powerful way. And I know he will. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Lord God, I'm so thankful for this morning that we could come and gather in your name and worship you and praise you. Cry out to you, Lord God, and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us through prayer and worship and through the power of your word. And we ask that you would do that now as we come before your holy word. Lord, that you would speak to us in our own individual way, Lord God, as we read your word and teach it. We ask for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 11, we're going to go through verses 1 through 13, or 1 through 15. And the title of this morning's message is God's remnant. Who is God's remnant? And we're going to find out this morning a little bit about that. All right, so let's read. The Apostle Paul again addressing what he started in in uh, chapter 9 says this, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and have torn down your altars. And I am left. I alone am left and they are seeking for my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at a present time, 
or at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation in the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And we stop right there. That's a mouthful. All right. So let's go back to the beginning. What is the Apostle Paul talking about? He tells us in the very beginning, God has not rejected his people, has he? He's talking here about the Jewish nation. And the question he is giving to the church at Rome, because he's, always, he's already presented this gospel about what it means to be a child of God. And the question was, and we've said this over the past few weeks, well, what about Israel? If, if it's all about believing in Jesus Christ, what about all the promises of the Old Testament and all the special blessings on the nation Israel? And he started off in chapter 9, if you remember, by saying not all of Israel is Israel. Not all those who are descendants of Abraham are children of the promise. And so he again comes to chapter 11 and says, and has God rejected his people? The answer is, may it never be, or let that thought be far from you. And he gives us some evidence that the Jewish nation has not been rejected as a whole. Number one, he says, for I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul's saying, I'm an Israelite. So if God has rejected his people, then, then I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's, dem- he's demonstrating to the church that God has not forsaken the Jewish nation because he's part of the Jewish nation. If God had forsaken them, then Paul would not be preaching before them. So God has not rejected the nation as a whole. And I keep mentioning that because you'll see in the minute as we go through this that God does reject some people. But then again, it's not based on your nationality. So the Jewish nation has not been rejected as a whole. He points us to a second point in verses two through four to back this up. He said, God has not rejected the tribe or has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? So he goes back to the Old Testament and provides evidence that God has a remnant of believers. God always has had a remnant of believers, even within the nation of Israel. 
And again, he points to the story of Elijah. You may remember this story from 1 Kings, where Elijah, Elijah had just done a great feat. Fire had come down from heaven. He defeated the prophets of Baal. But then the queen of Israel, Jezebel, said, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And he takes off running. And he hides out. And he thinks he's all alone. He's the only one who's following God. He's all alone. He's suffering all by himself. And so Paul sends us to this story to demonstrate that God has always have a remnant. And he says this in verse 2 again. Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, his own people. He said, Lord, they have killed your prophets. He's speaking of God's people, the nation Israel, the northern tribes in particular. They've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what does the divine response, or what is the divine response to him? Paul asked. He goes back to the text of the Old Testament. and says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So he's reminding the Roman church through the story of Elijah that even in the Old Testament, there was always a remnant that had not forsaken God. And he says in verse 5, In the same way then, there also has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. The Jewish nation has not been rejected as a whole. It has a remnant who are true believers, the Apostle Paul is saying. And this remnant was chosen by God's grace. Verses 5 through 10 is going to demonstrate that. As I just read, the remnant was chosen by God. Let's read this little section again. So in, the present, in this present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. So let me say something before I move on here. Because this sentence is very important in the interpretation of chapter 11. When he says, in this present time. So often, I, I don't know if you do this, but when we read that, we all of a sudden transport it to our time. Do you ever do that when you're reading, when the Bible says, until this day? Well, who wrote that? The Apostle Paul, when? First century, a long time ago. Good answer. That's like when I asked my kids, what did you learn about in Sunday school? God. Okay, well, that's a good start. <laughs> a long time ago, first century, the Apostle Paul wrote that, and he said this present time, he meant first century. So don't, that's important as we go to interpret chapter 11. He says again, there has come to be at this present time, first century, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. The remnant within the nation of Israel, God had chosen in that first century. Again, this is very important as we go through and interpret this text over the next two weeks. He says, but if it is by grace, verse 6, it is no longer the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. God's choosing of this remnant, again, is not based on their adherence to the law or they were circumcised or they were born of the nation of Israel. It is by God's gracious choice, not works. Again, he says it, just like we have that same message in the New Testament as well. What then, verse 7 says, what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. 
and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. This is talking about God's plan, past, present, and even in the future. So we're going to mention that in a moment, too, that God chooses who are going to be his. And we talked about this a few weeks ago based on his own choice. We play some part in that by believing in him. So you're like, am I chosen? Will you do, do you believe? Yes, then you're chosen. That's easy. You want to know if you're chosen, then believe and you will be chosen. And I'm not going to sort that out again here, as we mentioned a few weeks ago. I don't even know if I sorted it out then, but we're going to move on for the moment. He says, just as it is written, going to the Old Testament text again about how God chooses those to believe and hardens those who do not believe. I'm of the opinion that once you've rejected God, God may begin to harden your heart and cause you to be resolute in your decision to not believe in him. Look at what he says here. Here's the text. It says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. There's another reference to time, very day. This was written with King David's time, but it holds true to today as well. And David says, I mean, yeah, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. God hardens those who do not believe. Now, he can cause them to believe, but there is some free choice involved. I believe we have the freedom to choose. I believe we have a free will. So if you choose not to believe, God may solidify that belief, and that's scary. Now, this isn't only mentioned here in Romans. It's, Jesus mentions it a few times. In Revelations, it's mentioned. And I want to turn us back to the book of Acts in verse, or chapter 28. Just turn back one book. Last chapter, Acts 28, verses 23 through 28. This is a great explanation of what Paul is talking about here in Romans, and it leads us to the next point as well. So the Jewish nation who was being talked about from those Old Testament passages, there were many who did not believe, and God allowed them to stay in that spirit of unbelief. He can pull them out, as we'll see in a moment as well. But look at what happens. The Apostle Paul writes in Acts, or no, not the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry. Luke writes in Acts 28, starting in verse 23. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of the prophets, excuse me, from the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. So the apostle Paul is holding a pretty long Bible study. And some were being persuaded by this, by the things spoken, but others would not believe. They chose not to believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, your father, saying. So he's quoting the Apostle Paul saying to this, and this is what caused those who did not believe to leave. He says, Go to this people and say, you will 
keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. So their heart became dull. And with their eyes, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. So he's demonstrating what we were just talking about. God, if they've, they become dull in their hearing, so God allowed them and even solidified their eyes to not to see, their ears not to hear. He allowed them to make that choice. God gives you that freedom, I believe, to make that choice. If you choose that way, then God will give you what you want. And again, that is a scary thought. In verse 28, and this will lead us to the next part of Romans, which we'll go back to in a moment. He says, therefore, so because Israel has become dull of hearing, he says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to say in Romans chapter 11. So turn back with me now. Starting in verse 11. So the Jewish nation, again, has not been rejected as a whole. There is a remnant within the nation of Israel who believes at Paul's time and even presently. And they were chosen by God by his grace. And so what's the Jewish nation's purpose in salvation? This is what verses 11 through 15 is going to tell us. The Apostle Paul goes on. He says, I say then. They, meaning the Jewish people, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But their transgression, excuse me, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. And let me stop right there for a second. So Paul is going to explain why God has allowed the nation of Israel to not believe or allowed them, yeah, allowed them to do that. The first one is this is that their their rejection brings salvation to the Gentile remnant. Because even with the Gentile world, which I'm a part of, there's a remnant. Look again at verse 11. He says, But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because Israel rejected the message, God has now chosen or included, as we'll see next week, the Gentile believing church. They are the people of God as well. And as we've learned a few weeks ago, they are part of true Israel. So their rejection brings salvation to the Gentile remnant. So when Israel did not fully embrace this role, God expanded his calling to include the Gentile world. Now, just go back to chapter 10 of Romans. Paul said this very thing, that this was prophesied in the Old Testament by Isaiah himself. Romans 10, verse 16. Look at what it says. Paul says, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, so this isn't just some New Testament doctrine. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. 
But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. It even goes back to Moses. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. The Old Testament from Isaiah to Moses is very clear. The Gentiles were going to be included in God's plan. This isn't well, like, oh, Israel totally rejected me, so now I'm going to go to the Gentiles. There's two plans. Oh, there's one plan by God, and the Gentiles have always been involved in that plan. And the rejection by the nation of Israel has always been part of that plan. Why God would plan it that way, I don't know, but he did. I don't have that answer for you. But that's what God did. The remnant, the Jewish nation's purpose was for salvation to begin with them and then go out to the Gentiles. Remember, that's how the Apostle Paul was sent. The apostles were sent to go to the house of Israel first, and Jesus was too. And then the message went out to the Gentiles. There's been one plan, and there always has been one plan. Now, going back to our text in Romans chapter 11, Paul continues on with the nation's purpose in salvation. He says, now, if their transgression, meaning the Jewish people, is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you as who are Gentiles and as much then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the re- is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? The Jewish nation's purpose in salvation, and it was stated in verse 11, was one, again, to bring the remnant Gentile world to faith, but also by doing that was also going to make them jealous for the promises of God which were originally theirs. Look at verse 11 one more time. It says, But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Who jealous? The nation Israel jealous. It's like God had this plan for Israel. I'm going to give you this great thing, but you're going to reject it, and I'm going to give it to the Gentiles, and you're going to get jealous and want it back. That was God's plan. We don't have time to go through all that, but this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. So the Jewish nation's purpose in salvation was that their rejection brings salvation to the Jewish remnant. Because not all of Israel is going to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's only a remnant. And if you don't believe me, go back to Romans chapter 9 real quick. Don't take my word for it. There's greater authority than Pastor Robert. Romans chapter 9, look at verse 27. We're going to stand on the word of God through the prophet Isaiah. Look at what Isaiah says. The apostle Paul quoting him says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the who? The remnant that will be saved. Not all of Israel is Israel. He said that at the beginning of chapter 9. And not all who claim to be sons of Abraham are are children of the promise, or heirs of the promise. It's the remnant. So the Jewish nation, as it looks like a majority of them at the Apostle Paul's time, have rejected Christ. 
But he quotes Elijah going, but there's a remnant that believes, Paul, in the nation of Israel. And there's a remnant throughout the church age that will come to believe in the Messiah. And Isaiah prophesied that. So again, covering what we've learned so far, the Jewish nation has not been rejected as a whole by God. He has a remnant within them that believed in Paul's time and even to this time. And there will always remain a few chosen to believe, but not only in the gent in the is the uh, Jewish world, but also in the Gentile world. Not every Gentile is a believer, are they? No, there's just a remnant. There's always a remnant. And that will be, it will be like that until the time Christ returns. It will always be a remnant, as we will learn next week, the rest of that. When it says all of Israel will be saved, well, who's Israel? If you don't know yet, we've talked about it a couple weeks ago, but we'll talk about it next week. <clears throat> so what's, what's application can we find? I think what we can find is the remnant's purpose. If you're a believer, you're part of that remnant. What is your purpose as a remnant? I think we could take an example from the Apostle Paul and the nation Israel. Just these three final points. You're all final points. In four parts. No, just kidding. Number one, if you're part of the remnant of God, meaning you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then let your witness provoke others. Just like the Apostle Paul and the nation of Israel, their job was to provoke others. The Apostle Paul was to provoke his brothers to jealousy. How about your life? How about my life? Do we provoke others in a positive way? I mean, I could provoke others to get mad real easy. Just ask my family. But we're talking about in a good way, as the remnant of God. Let your witness or your life provoke others. Because this is our calling as the remnant of God. Remember what Jesus said to those who were listening to him in Matthew chapter 5 about what it meant to be a child of God, to accept his message. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As the remnant of God, you are called to be salt and light, to provoke others, to develop a taste for God in their life, to see our lives, your life, my life. We're to be such a witness that we provoke others, even to jealousy, like, hey, I, what do they have? How can they go through such a horrible time and still sing and praise God and glorify God. Do people see your life and are provoked to wonder about the God that you served? Or when do you go through hard times, does your faith go out the door? Um, going back to the prophet Elijah, he had just done this great feat, this great thing, and then he got scared. And there's nothing wrong with being afraid. 
It's when you let your fear guide your path and direct you. Because when Elisha got scared, he took off running for the hills. He even told God, let me die. I'm done with this. And God said, go to sleep. Then he fed. And it's a great story. If you have time, read that story. But again, I want to encourage you. Being afraid is a, a natural reaction. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when you let that take over and make the decisions in your life based on fear. So let your witness, let your life provoke others. Just as the Apostle Paul wanted that to happen in the nation of Israel, God used them to provoke others, the Jewish, the Jewish world and the Gentile world. Secondly, let your witness be a blessing to others. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, let your light so shine before men. You know, it's a light. It's lighting the path of other people. It's being a blessing. Is your life a blessing for the kingdom of God? Do some inventory on your life, on your walk with God. Is it a blessing for others? Now, let me say this. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean everyone's going to love you. No, sometimes it's the exact opposite, especially depending on where you live, what part of the world you live. But we're called to be salt. I look at that as the provoking part and light as the blessing part. Is your life a blessing for the kingdom of God? Is your life a blessing for the church, the church that you serve in? If, this, if you call this your home church, are you a blessing to it? Are you a blessing to the outside world as well? I read an article this week, and I forgot what newspapers, L.A. Times or New York Times, and they were talking about the children, children, um, were children that were raised in the church more generous than those who were not raised in church or in any religion in particular? And they did a study. You never know how accurate these are. But their finding was that, no, the, the children that don't go to church were more generous than those who go to church or temple or whatever. Other. They were like four or five different religions. And it got me thinking, now, just because I'm, if I'm a generous person doesn't necessarily make me I'm right before God because I, you know, I'm so generous. But it did make me think about the way, about my own life. Am I a generous person? Am I raising my children to be generous? And how would they do in that test? Would they be a blessing to the world? It just got me thinking. I don't know, you can think about it in your own life. If your children were tested, you know, if they said like they gave them candy or something and it tended to be like the Christian families were like 25% of them, you know, shared it. And then the uh, non-believing families, I think it was like 50% were sharing it. So it was just an interesting study, just food for thought. But it did get me thinking, am I a blessing to others? Am I raising children that are a blessing to others? Is our church a blessing to others? Are you a blessing to others? Again, the, whole, the Apostle Paul's whole life was about a blessing to others. And remember, he said in our text, I like this. He says in verse 14, if somehow I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Even the apostle Paul knows that all of Israel isn't going to accept the message. He goes, I just want to save some of them. He wanted his life to be a blessing to his own countrymen, his ministry. I think I forgot what chapter it was. Remember, he said, if I could even give up my own like salvation, I would. 
Lastly, the remnant's purpose, let your witness save some. Let your witness save some. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't think, oh, I can't save anybody. I know that. But your witness can lead others to Christ. You can repel others from Christ or draw them to Christ by your witness. So I think that's the remnant's purpose. That's the application for us today through this passage is, number one, let your witness provoke others. Let your witness be a blessing to others. And let your witness save some. Let me close with this. I read this article this morning. Um, It's called, Your Obedience is Not Just About You. It's an awesome article. Uh, um, I'll post it somewhere for you guys all to read. But it's from uh, uh, the Gospel Coalition. I like that. Your Obedience is Not Just About You. And I'm going to read a little bit from it because I couldn't say it better than this guy. He was talking about our personal walks with God and our obedience to God or lack of it. And he says, there is a, per- a pervasive downplaying of the overall impact of our obedience and our disobedience in prayer, in Bible study, and even regular church attendance. He was saying that Christians tend to go like, it's not that big a deal if I don't pray, or if, I don't, if I'm not at church all the time, or if I'm not reading all the time. And his argument was, yes, it is. There's, there's impact. It's not just about you. He says the bottom line is that your obedience as a Christian is just not for you, and therefore your disobedience does not simply impact you. Interesting. And he says it affects three areas of our life. These aren't going to come up, but number one, he's saying about it's not just about you. Number one, it's about God. Number two, it's about your church. And number three, it's about the world around you. Very interesting in light of the text that we read this morning. Again, your obedience is not just about you, it's about God, it's about your church, and it's about the world around you. And he says this, he says, when we don't pray, we communicate a lack of faith in God, a diminished view of his goodness, and an inflated view of ourselves. Therefore, how we order our lives communicates what we believe about God. Is he truly of infinite worth? Is it true that in his presence there is fullness of joy? And do we really believe the hymns and worship songs we sing on Sundays? We sung some very great and deep songs, I thought, this morning. How much do you truly believe that? Or are you like, I just love that too, and it's just a cool song, which is okay. But do you really believe those things? Do you really want God to take your, your, you know, your faith out where you can't see? And I'm messing up the words to that song, I'm sure. But you know what I mean. Do you really want him to do that? You really believe that he can do that, he can provide for you, that he can get you out of what you're in? Secondly, it's about your church. He says the Christian life is, I love this, and we talk about this all the time. He says the Christian life is intended to be lived out in a, what? Say it, John. Community. Right. Or in the context of other believers. And this is interesting, because what did Elijah do when he got scared? Did he, did he run to the, the temple? He ran out all by himself. And then when he got there out all there by himself, he started complaining. So many times we as Christians do that. When hard times come, we run and we go away by ourselves. 
That is not a good place to be when you're hurting, when you're struggling. The Christian life is intended to be lived in a community or in the context of other believers. We are to forgive, forbear, exercise patience, love and care for one another, even as we teach, admonish, exhort, and serve one another. What is the impact of you not reading your Bible, skipping out on the preaching of the word, or neglecting, neglecting prayer? Your church family suffers. Think of that. We don't have anything to give. I haven't been reading all week. How am I going to come up here and teach? You haven't been reading and praying all week. How's God going to use you in the life of your brother and sister? So it's not just about you. We suffer too as a church body. We need you reading and praying and worshiping and going to church. It's important. The church needs you. And it's about the world around you. If you're not living out the Christian life, why would the world care about God, the world that's in your life, those that see you, those that interact with you? You're no different than them. Why do I need to go to church? Matter of fact, that study says I could be more generous than you anyways. Isn't that what it's about, just being good? Some people think that. Just food for thought. Your obedience is not just about you. Again, the text says that. The Apostle Paul was like about other people. We, as the remnant of God, should be about God, the church, and the world around us. And then we come fourthly. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that we are the remnant of God if we believe. You've chosen us, Lord God. And we've accepted you by faith, put our trust in you, by faith, believe in you. Lord, the book of Romans has showed us more than anything that there's nothing that we can do to earn your favor. There's nothing that we can do to be good enough. We're called simply to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you've raised him from the dead. I pray that we would do that this morning, Lord. If there's anyone in this room has not done that, Lord God, that you would open up their eyes and their ears and they would hear that. They would not be resolute in their hardness towards you. And Lord, I pray that they would do it now before, Lord God, you honor and grant them their choice to reject you. And you would do, as you said in Isaiah, harden their hearts, blind their eyes, and dull their ears so that they cannot believe. We pray, Lord, that nobody in this room is like that or in danger of that, Lord God, but that today would be the day of salvation, that they would hear your call and confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that you are Lord. And Father God, for those of us who are the remnant, Lord. May our lives be more about others than ourselves. May they be about worshiping you and glorifying you. May they be about building up our church body so that we might grow into the fullness and maturity of Jesus Christ. And may we be about glorifying you in this world who is lost without you. May we be a witness out there, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you for the time we've had this morning. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.